Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. This is pretty much pop accepting the award today for the best way to waste an hour of your life. Today we're talking about the Oscars, and I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, 10-time loser for best podcast host. This is Erica Spires, and just like Francis McDormand, I've got some things to say. And I'm Brian Hurt, and I've got Oscar fever. Or maybe it's something I ate. And that was my coronavirus joke, which we're not going to include. All right, onwards. (laughs) Brian made us do this. I didn't make us do anything, but I must say, after our podcast where we gamified the Christmas movies, I thought it would be fun to gamify the Oscars. And what better way than making us all watch all nine movies and then argue in favor of them. So that's what we're doing. My favorite thing about this podcast already is that the last podcast we did, Mark gave a little whine about how he didn't want to have to see all nine of them. And we all said, you don't have to watch all nine of them. And look what he did. He did it. Oh, I told him he did have to watch them. Oh. (laughs) So there it goes. At least I can feel nice about the fact that I'm completely disconnected from the Grammys. I've never heard of most of the things that won or were nominated, and that's par for the course. That's something to tackle another year. You're definitely the most dedicated of podcast hosts. It was kind of nice to be forced to watch things that are supposed to be good. As opposed to the junk food that one takes in just out of pleasure. On the other hand, you were forced to watch to the end of everything that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. And that's what happens in book clubs, right? You read books you might not, but you also finish books you might not otherwise finish just for the purpose of being able to discuss them. There is at least one of these I would not have watched until the end, but I did, but we can get to that. So what we decided to do was, it turns out nine gets divided by three nicely, so we each were assigned three movies that we are going to debate in favor of. This is going to be our first pretty much pop debate. And the way it's going to work is for each of our three movies, we'll take turns and we'll kind of go round robin on this. doesn't matter what order we do it in. For the three movies, for each movie, I should say, the person to whom it's assigned will either argue why that movie should win the Oscar for Best Picture, or they will argue why it will win the Oscar for Best Picture. And this is a way for us to get around the fact that we may be arguing for something that we really don't believe in, but at least you can make an argument for why it will win, even if it's something you don't like. I guess we'll see how much we like the three we were assigned. Mark and I actually uh, got on FaceTime and I rolled a die and we assigned these randomly. So Erica, you have to trust that we did this legit, but seeing as the ones you were assigned, uh, I think you can't argue with with the ones you got, I would think. We did not stick Erica with all the worst ones. I know you did not. Thank you. Although you did give me one that's going to be a a difficult one for me to argue for, but here we go. I think looking at how they were assigned, we each got one that I would have trouble arguing. So I think I should just start by just saying what we were all assigned so we know. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian, as mentioned, and I was assigned Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, and Marriage Story. Erica was assigned Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. And Mark is arguing for Joker, Little Women, and 1917. And can I just suggest one thing before we get going? Let's maybe try to ease up on end of the movie spoilers. I think we can argue about the premise of movies and maybe things that are widely known about movies, such as 1917 being a filmed as a long tracking shot. I think that's pretty well known even for people who haven't seen it or Joker is about the Joker. So those sorts of things, but maybe not how movies actually end. So that last scene of what we can maybe avoid that. Does that seem fair? Yeah. Can we manage that? Okay. I think a little bit of spoiling is good because had I known that Parasite was not about a uh, world conquering virus, then I would have been more inclined to see it in the first place. (laughs) All right. Who's starting this? Who's kicking us off? I think you're first, Bry. 
roll a die again. <laughs> yes, we're going to flip a three-sided coin. No, I'm done talking. People have heard me too much. Call it, Erica. Heads or tails? Heads. It's tails. Mark's going first. I'm just going to pick randomly among my three. I'm going to say 1917. Two soldiers are sent on a by-foot mission, much like Snoopy, crossing the French countryside during World War I to get a message to generals elsewhere in the field across enemy lines. This has been attacked for, it's just too much spectacle that it doesn't get into the, who are these characters? Why are they doing this? Well, to some extent, that is a requirement of the form. As Brian pointed out, it's actually two continuous tracking shots. At least it's made to look that way digitally. And it really gives you a sense of, wow, do you remember earlier? Just like in real life, looking, if you sit down and like, what was I doing 30 minutes ago? And you kind of rewind, like, just being able to do that in a film is a completely different experience than any other film that's ever been seen. So combine that innovation with just how impressive the set pieces were, the number of corpses that they have to walk over, that's not too much of a spoiler, and other exciting things. And the melodrama, you know, yes, there were some celebrities that could potentially have been distracting. You know, for a war film, it's not the grimmest possible movie that could have been made about this, which says more about my not understanding what is supposed to make for a quality movie that I still associate the things. This is a theme I want to return to as we're going through these is this high low culture distinction of should the things that are artistic be sterile in, you know, pure in some way, free from titillation, from <laughs> juvenile appeal. Well, this has got, just through the addition of the celebrities and a little bit of humor here and there, it's got some of that. It's got some melodrama. It's got some unlikely coincidences. I think that actually one could argue that they enhance the experience so that it is not merely a spectacle, but it is, it packs an emotional wallop. And yeah, I just think this is going to be remembered as a, a landmark film. And I think it's the odds on favorite right now to win the Oscar. If you look at betting markets and look at what has been winning earlier awards, 1917 has a really good shot of winning this one based on some of the predictors that seem to predict things. So do we want to, like we did with the holiday ones, everybody then can have their two cents on this as long as we keep it. We have to get through nine of them. For sure. I'll only say that I did hear a review before I saw it that it felt a little bit like watching a video game, and I kind of wish I hadn't heard that review because I was feeling that a bit as it went, that there was one way over the bridge and there was one way through the tunnel and this and that, and you just had enough ammunition to survive each scene. That aside, I, I thought it was a really well-made movie that I was thoroughly bought into, and I kind of stopped noticing that tracking shot after a while, which was good. I think when a movie is too much about how it's made, it can get kind of tiring, but I didn't feel like I was dwelling on that aspect of it. What did you think, Erica? I was mesmerized by this film, and it had so much not going for it when I saw it. We saw it on Christmas Day, which I wasn't excited for because I didn't really want to see a war movie on Christmas Day, but Little Women was sold out. We saw it late in the evening, which I also wasn't excited about going to see a movie late in the evening. And I also don't really like war movies in general. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't really say that because I'm sure there are a number of war films I have enjoyed, but I was expecting it to be a lot more difficult to watch and I was expecting it to trudge along. But I have to say, I came out of this film thinking, oh my God, that's the best film of the year. Part of that was the directing and the like incredible way that they used the camera work. You felt like you were literally in it. And I think that's why, why he said he did it that way so that almost like you're a, the camera almost represents you as another person in the trenches. I was exhausted after watching it. I was exhilarated by watching it. I think it's a great contender. I don't know that it will win. It's actually, if I have to pick amongst all of these, it won't be my one. But that's not to say like personally, I feel like this one maybe should. All right, good podcast, everybody. We have a winner. No, we don't. Erica, you're up. I'm going to start with Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit was the first film this year that I saw and was extremely excited by it and felt like it was going to be one of the favorites for Oscar contenders. Jojo Rabbit is about a little boy who is a part of the Hitler Youth, who is obsessed with Hitler and has him as his imaginary friend. Hitler played by Taika Waititi, the director and also the adapter of the novel for the screenplay. It's funny. It is heartbreaking. 
it deals with this little boy's journey as he learns a little bit more about what maybe being a Hitler youth is all about and the people that it's affecting along the way. This is a movie that could win because Hollywood loves films about World War II. And this is a film about World War II that has turned the genre on its head by it having a very serious subject matter, but doing it in such a funny, wistful way somehow. There are moments that are definitely cry-worthy. There are many absurd and funny moments. This is a story that is relevant for today's environment of nationalism. It tells this story in a way that is fairly non-confrontational nor judgmental as far as I was concerned. And I think it does that very well because it does that through the eyes of a child and shows how children can be swayed one way or another so easily by society and possibly by their parents. And there's a really interesting relationship that the child has with his mother. I don't know if you're trying to be non-spoilery or just... Non-spoilery. Tread careful, but... Uh, Hollywood really loves the Holocaust also. Yeah. And that theme comes up. It becomes a, a part of the plot in a way that drives the story. So I think that really has the going for it. Exactly. That's what I meant by World War II. But uh, yes, using that similarly, yes, the Hollywood loves the Holocaust. And this is what an interesting twist on the Holocaust movie. And you come out, I think, feeling a bit changed or feel like the boy has, has gone through a growing up of sorts. And that the world is not so black and white as we like to believe. I was sold on this movie from the first scene. I could watch that first scene many times. Yeah, no, I thought this was the honest to goodness most enjoyable film that was in our lineup today. So I hope that means that it can win. Again, I'm sort of torn here between my expectation of things that win Oscars are good in quotes as opposed to things we actually enjoy that are long and drawn out and artsy in a way that is not necessarily apparent. This one, I just think, like 1917, is just a unique, new, not fundamentally new kind of film, but a definitely a different variation that we haven't seen before. And I thought, as I think we discussed in some past episode, that I, I never wanted to see another World War II Holocaust-related film again, much less the attempts like Life is Beautiful and Jacob the Liar at a comedy in this era. But no, this is this is great. And here's why it won't win, because Taika Waititi is going to win Best Screenplay. And that's what they do when you have this up-and-coming director like Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction, right, who gets nominated. His movie's nominated, and he's nominated for director and writer, and then he gets the writer award. And it's sort of like, here you go, we're rewarding you. This is the Oscar you get. Come back to us when you make your masterpiece. So... I think it's deserving, and I loved it, but I just have a feeling that's what's going to happen with this one. I disagree about screenplay. I don't think he'll win for screenplay. I think it'll go to Greta Gerwig. Fight in words. All right, we'll come back to Greta Gerwig. Brian, what is your first film that you want to talk about? I'm going to go with the clear favorite for Oscar this year for Best Picture, and that would be Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, well, this has something going for it, and a reason it actually could win the Oscar, and that is... Sports movies actually do a little better than they should in the Oscars. And if you look at it over the years, there have been some that have won Best Picture, not a lot. But if you look in the last, okay, if I look over my lifetime, I see that Rocky won in the 70s, Chariots of Fire won in the 80s, Gladiator people argue whether it's a sports film, but it has some advocates saying that, and then Million Dollar Baby, and Gladiator and Million Dollar Baby were both in the aughts. Ford versus Ferrari is based on a true story about how Ford Motor Company took on Ferrari to build a race car that could compete in the European 24-hour of Le Mans, which is a race in France, and it involves the American car designer, Carol Shelby, and the driver, Ken Miles. Yeah, it's a sports movie. And like most of the sports movies I mentioned, it also is one that is not all about an underdog coming back and winning and everything coming out nice. We won't spoil Ford versus Ferrari, but I'll spoil Rocky. He doesn't win. And a million dollar baby, she breaks her neck and gets euthanized, right? I mean, ones that have something of a dark edge or dour tone to them 
tend to have a little more traction than the ones where, you know, it's Rocky Four or The Mighty Ducks. Okay, those aren't ones that were nominated for Best Picture. But I think if it's going to have any appeal, it's that. And then the other thing that it has going for it is there is a lot of international appeal for race car driving. And I think that might be how this thing got nominated in the first place. I thought the Academy was largely from the United States. It is largely, but it does have foreign members. And that's why these movies tend to do better in the Golden Globes. But I think if it's going to win in any way, it would be that that section of the Academy that is going for, that they get pulled into the sports feature of it. And we had a lot of really flawed and interesting characters in it as well. I thought the movie was a little long and a little corny in places, but I really enjoyed it. I must say that once I got going in it, I was totally pulled in and I thought it was a very well-made movie that I enjoyed. I like this movie better than I thought I would. I don't think it will win. I don't think it should win. I don't feel like it's anything that we haven't seen similarly in the past. Not to say that that doesn't mean it could win. But yeah, it's an enjoyable film. The thing I liked most about this movie, I felt at the heart of it, it was a film about having integrity. We do like stories about little guys going up against the big corporate machine. And even though they were on the same team, it still felt like that kind of a film. It made me feel good because it was a film about cars that I don't care about. Definitely don't care about racing, but I cared about these people. And a great adaptation, I thought. Well, we'll listen to our super fan, Mark, and he'll tell us. I was thinking about what makes something a quality movie, at least one of the ways, is if it gets you interested in a topic that you just weren't at all interested in beforehand. So I got to mention the two popes as being one. Maybe we can, at the end here, talk about ones that were, that were not among these nine that we thought were especially great. But like, I couldn't got care less about <laughs> the ascension of the popes, and I loved that movie. But Ford versus Ferrari, so I just saw this last night. So it was the last one of these that I saw. I was kind of dreading it. I knew it was long. I knew it was about this thing that I did not care about. So I definitely did not give it the most sympathetic watch that I could have in terms of giving it my full attention and an uninterrupted experience. Given that, it certainly had some compelling parts. The performances were great. I really like the things like The Martian, the film, where there's a technological challenge. So a lot of this was the mechanics of how to get a race car. I've just thought so little about race cars. Like, it just didn't even occur to me that if you just floor it the whole time, it'll eventually explode. Like, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing. So it got me thinking about this whole mechanic that I've never been aware of before. And the thing in particular with the brakes that this innovation that comes up in the middle of the film of how we're going to deal with the fact that brakes keep going out when you're racing for 24 hours straight. There are also parts of it that I cared much less about. You know, it was very hard to be really sympathetic about the main conflict in the film between, I, I don't remember characters' names again, even though these are real people, but the Matt Damon character and the more traditional business and marketing guys at Ford who were in conflict about, do we want this to be the fastest car the fastest race possible, or do we want this to reflect well on Ford's image? That just sounds like a terribly boring conflict, and I feel like it was. And it was so central that I hope this one does not win. Let me put it that way. And you have also revealed your, this was the movie I was dreading and watched last movie. So we'll <laughs> yes. all have to do that when we get to ours. <laughs> I haven't gotten to mine yet, and I don't think Erica has either. Are we snaking? We'll go back to Mark. All right, Little Women. This is probably the one I saw second to last. So I'm not sure who this was aimed at. There's been so many adaptations of Little Women. From what I understand, you know, the fact that this was done, this is not too much of a spoiler, in a flashback format, largely, that unlike the book, which starts when they're kids and then they grow up, this starts as adults and then, you know, really as a kind of a minority of the movie, they're flashing back to seven years earlier when they were more innocent. The overall framing device of the film, which I don't want to reveal, but I can say that this is definitely about, I guess this focuses more on the single character, Joe, as opposed to, I haven't read the book and I haven't seen any of the previous versions. Again, I don't know if I was the target audience for this. You know, it's kind of assuming that it's like a Christmas Carol. Like, is this really your first version of the Christmas Carol? You know, is it really assuming that you kind of know the general outline of the plot? I knew one of the dramatic turns, which was a spoiler that was revealed in a Friends episode. So in, a, in effect, <laughs> to the entire world, that's like 
I knew that you know, something bad happened to somebody. <laughs> I didn't remember exactly which character it was. But the overall framing device in it revolving more around this one character and distinct parallels being drawn to that and the experience of the author, you know, I thought that was tremendously effective. I thought the ending of the film was very effective. I definitely was emotionally pulled in. At the same time, I did feel like it was a little bit, for my personal taste, a little bit manipulative. Like, oh, somebody is feeling lost and lonely at the party. And now she goes outside and with the boys dancing and just looks so joyous and like, okay, people are frolicking. I'm supposed to be enjoying their frolicking. But to argue why I think it will win, maybe the fact that it's what some of our articles were saying, what percentage is male? (laughs) That's maybe a thing to think about with this. But assuming that there was complete equity among the voting population, I understand, especially for women, you know, this was very effectively channeled, I guess, the parts of the book and even added some additional parts to the script of, you know, making this a real feminist film without it feeling terribly over the top preachy. You know, it really, if you're watching anything from this era, you should feel that indignation. I feel like it was stylistically very well done, for the most part, extremely well cast, had a very good flow to it. It took me a little while to figure out which character was which. As somebody who didn't know the story, I feel maybe the beginning was aimed at people who did know in advance who these people were. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have some positives and negatives about it, but I certainly you know, very much admire, given how many of this type of film have been done and adaptations of this particular story, this just seems such a strong voice from Greta Gerwig in how she did this that I thoroughly appreciate it. I saw her on the train in New York City the other day. It was really strange. I secretly snapped a little photo and sent it to my husband. I was like, oh my God, look who's on the train. She rides the subway too. And I've heard she's absolutely lovely and it seems like she would be and it seems like she would be to work with as well. That's not, I mean, why not? That is a pitch for, hey, Greta. Anyway, I thought it was a really great adaptation. It was fresh. I haven't seen every version of Little Women, but I I definitely saw the one when I was a child with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale. And I thought this was, I thought this was excellent. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there were some things about that previous film that always bothered me that didn't bother me in this one. And I thought the cast was exceptional. I loved all the girls and boys. Um, I hate to correct you. I don't want to mansplain this. Uh, they weren't girls. They were little women. Women. Little women. Yes. <laughs> little ones. Oh, <laughs> Get okay, it right. Got it. Got it. And I think you could really feel Greta's vision come through on this if you knew the previous versions. I think if you knew the story, then you could see how special it was and how she adapted this to feel fresh again. I love this movie. I really did. You talked about actually enjoying Jojo Rabbit. This and Jojo Rabbit were the two movies I really actually enjoyed watching. I didn't know really you could have a fresh take on Little Women or have such a smart take on it and enjoyable and catering to a modern audience that can deal with quick cuts back and forth in time without a lot of signaling. It was great. I really have such a positive feeling for this movie. And and I don't think I'm a woman. So men could possibly vote for this too, Mark. I actually saw this with my husband and a male friend of ours, and he wept through the whole thing, even though he's seen this version before. And he had two guys next to him who were together. Not that this matters, but our friend, you know, he's straight white male. And next to him were two gay guys. And he was crying more than they were, but he was like, he had brought Kleenex and he was sharing it with them. It was so sweet. And after the film was done, a couple of ladies behind us said to our friend, Oh my goodness, it was so enjoyable watching you watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So was it a spoiler to reveal that the women were in fact three inches tall and that was the innovation? Okay, that is, we Uh can can delete that. So I think you're next, Erica. (laughs) Now we get to talk about an amazing film called Parasite. Parasite is the story of the Kim family The Kim family has nothing in terms of wealth, but they have almost everything in terms of their intelligence and their skill and abilities to prove themselves in the world. This is a film by Bong Joon-ho, who previously did Okja and Snowpiercer, among many others. He once again has gone back to this socioeconomic disparity as one of his themes. And he also, in my estimation, I think he even brings to mind thoughts about climate change and the lack of resources and how we distribute those resources. It has very engaging cinematography. The acting is, 
I think great. I mean, it, it's interesting to watch different, like the Korean film market is very different from the United States film market. So different style, but absolutely effective. He's a very exciting international director and seems to be very widely liked. It is not unprecedented for a foreign language film to win Best Picture and not just Best Foreign Language Film. And I think this year they're calling it Best International Film rather than Foreign Language. The Artist won back in 2012, and a different film actually won for Best Foreign Language Film, a separation one. So I think it's very possible that Parasite could win for Best Picture, while another film could win for Best Foreign Language. But it would be cool if it would even win both. Who knows? He's also up for Best Original Screenplay, Production Design, Film Editing, and Director. I think that, you know, maybe what this film doesn't have going for it is the fact that it's a thriller, and that's just not something we tend to see a whole lot of in the Academy Awards for Best Picture, but it's more than a thriller. And I think the really amazing thing is as you continue to watch this film, I'll go a little little bit more into what the Kim family, the Kim family finds another family where their son becomes a tutor to this very wealthy family, to their child. And then subsequently, they start needing help in other aspects. And I won't reveal how or why, but the whole entire Kim family comes to live, basically be live in help with the wealthy family. It helps you see the filth that's on both sides of the coin, the haves and the have-nots. And it makes you, I think, take a very close look at yourself and where you are on the ladder in comparison to others. Even when we think that we might be the ones on the bottom, maybe we're not. Is it a spoiler to say that Parasite refers to every single person in the movie? No, I think that is, <laughs> I think that is apt. All right. Excellent film. I think it could also really open up the Academy Awards a bit more in terms of getting more foreign language films as contenders for Best Picture. I think that's what we're seeing in our world today anyway, you know, and, and Netflix and Amazon and all these other streaming services have really opened up the world here in the U.S. for us so that we're not just privy to U.S. films anymore. And I think what a wonderful time to start opening that up in the Academy as well. I agree with most of what you said in terms of why you liked it. And I feel the same way. Like, I really think this was a great movie. But I also think that because it is nominated to be Best International Film, that people might look at that as an acceptable consolation prize, the way that very recently, right, that's what happened to Roma. And maybe not quite as recently, uh, Life is Beautiful got that award. And it's one of those things that does happen sometimes. When people see that this is a shoe-in to win that award, they may not feel necessarily moved to vote for it for Best Picture. Hard to say. That is true. And now that I'm, I'm looking, Best International Feature in 2012, the artist was not on there, which I think is odd for international, but it ended up winning Best Picture. But it wasn't foreign language because it was a silent movie. But it was a French film, wasn't it? But it was a foreign language film, and it was a silent movie. So it was only subtitled. Yeah, I don't see it listed there either. And I think that might be why. A certain percentage of the movie has to be in a foreign language, and just the whole thing was subtitled. Ah, uh, okay. So even though it's a French comedy drama, it was, yeah, silent. Well, there you go. So we're going to have another episode, I'm sure, about how we deal with foreign media. It's very hard to judge. I think you have to get into, you know, of course, it's fascinating in itself, just seeing anything from a foreign country and kind of learning about a maybe quite different mindset and the things that they're concerned about and the way that they talk about things. But because that's an educational process, then it's also hard to sort of judge, is this a particularly well done instance of this genre, for instance? I know that I enjoyed the film quite a bit, but it didn't strike me as artsy in the way that I feel like an Academy Award winner should be. Was that just because you had fun watching it, though? Were the performances really difficult, for instance? Like, I don't know. I didn't see anything, obviously. Maybe I just need to see the film again that would make me think that any of these people should be up for best actor, best actress, best supporting actress. You know, they did a good job. Nothing was unconvincing, but it wasn't theory of everything, Stephen Hawking being stricken by a disease, and, you know, it wasn't the two popes of these two guys completely transforming themselves. It wasn't even the Irishmen of people having to emote in slow motion in a very dramatic way. And that's kind of part of what I expect to some degree from these things. I realized that was not necessarily 
like in Jojo Rabbit either, but it definitely was in a lot of the ones in Little Women and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker in 1917, even to some extent. So I don't think this one will win Best Picture, but it's certainly I'm really interested in him as a filmmaker now and just want to see revisit Snowpiercer and actually see Oakja that has jumped out at me at Netflix for several years straight saying, is this a kid's film? Is this a what? What is this thing? <laughs> I know I felt the same. For what it's worth, the cast of Parasite won the Screen Actors Guild Award for the big prize. So, All right. Mark has a great point, right? It's one I disagree with, but... <laughs> <laughs> Can we get that on a loop? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I read this article the other day about Joaquin Phoenix and how it's like he acts so hard in it, and people seem to love that. When you're acting pained or something's, like, really difficult, I feel like that is so often easier to do. And I'm not saying in all cases, but in that film, it's like, okay, lose a lot of weight, and be maniacal. And then we look at that and we're like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's so well done. But I think being subtle and human is so difficult to do effectively. Right. We don't hand out awards for effort when things look like they're effortless. But that's sometimes the most affecting of all. If we ever get someone on to talk about costuming, we'll talk about that aspect of costuming. We will. We shouldn't maybe notice it when it's being done great. So in any case, we'll come back to that. Is it my turn? Yes. What is your next film? I'm going to talk about Marriage Story, which is a movie set in modern times about a couple played by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And they are in the process of getting divorced while trying to keep their family together. Uh, it involves the future in custody of, a, of their son, their small boy. This was a kind of a tough movie to watch in parts. I, I admit... I wasn't that looking forward to watching it, though I had been told that it had a lot of humor in it, and that's really what got me going on it. And for a two-hour movie with a lot of drama and tough-to-watch aspects of it, it also did have some laugh-out-loud moments and some dark humor in it as well that really kept me along for the ride watching it. Really spectacular acting performances, in my opinion. What I think this one has going for it is looking at the nine movies we have. We have some various things set in period pieces or various artifice of one kind or another. And I feel like this is our one naturalistic, I don't want to go so far as calling it cinema verite, but this is our kind of truth without artifice movie. The Kramer versus Kramer or... Ordinary people are more recently looking at Spotlight or Moonlight in the last couple of years where we're just kind of given this truthful thing to look at and deal with. And with a divorce rate of 50% in the U.S. and 60% in California, where a lot of the voters are, I, I could see this just resonating possibly with people in a way that, yeah, they'd never fought in Europe in 1917 and they'd never rode in race cars in Le Mans, but a lot of them went through this and maybe can relate to that and want to or recognize something in there that they would give their stamp of approval to in, in terms of an Oscar nod. I think it's a long shot, and the, the odds online agree with that, but sometimes we, we do get these surprises, and I could see maybe this getting a surprise for that reason. Do you feel like that there will be, in the Academy, prejudice against these things that didn't have a traditional theatrical release? You know, I think it's certainly possible, right? A lot of people thought that Roma was going to win the Oscar, the big one, and it didn't. And that was one that was had a very limited release in the theaters to qualify it for the Oscar, and then it went straight to Netflix. I'm guessing that if that had happened with 1917, people would still be really excited about it, or Parasite. I think there may be a minority, but I have a feeling that the quality of a film is going to outweigh that aspect of it. I think that might be a little bit of a overblown concern, but that's just my opinion. I don't know for sure. I think this is definitely a dark horse. I don't think it has a chance to win, but I like the reason you're arguing for it. This is not a film that I wanted to see. I, even though I like the actors, I find that Noah Baumbach's films are hard to watch usually because they deal with some issues of the heart that are very difficult to look at in our own lives. But I did really enjoy this film. It was heartbreaking and the performances were incredible. And I think they had that beautiful marriage of 
both being completely naturalistic at times, like watching their faces when they're going through divorce hearings, when they're not allowed to speak, and then their giant fight near the end where they just both lose it with each other. And I just thought there were acting fireworks going on. I I was a, a big fan of the acting. But as far as, you know, winning best film, mm, I don't see why. And this was the one that you waited? I waited till this morning. I saw it this morning. I cried openly, started to weep twice. I did not enjoy actually watching this film other than the very beginning, which is very touching, but I found it aggravating. But I think actually that it has a very good chance (laughs) from my ignorant point of view of winning. I feel like it's exactly the kind of film for the reasons that Brian was saying that it is it is so realistic, it is so well done. You know, it has those I want to say actory performances. You know, this is more of what I had in mind than Joker when I was talking about that. These obviously effortful performances that just do not shy away from the complexity of the emotions involved. So I think this would have a good chance. All right, last round. Let's do it. All right, so we are to Joker. The movie I waited till the very end to see. And I got a migraine during, and it was great because I couldn't actually see the middle of the screen. Oh, I'm sorry. Please, please proceed. I read the positives. I read the negatives. I think this is a, again, it's a kind of a new variation on things. I know people say, oh, it's just if the main character from Taxi Driver were the Joker. But there's certainly something to be said for that. It's interesting to compare this with Taxi Driver. Some people think it just shows how bad Joker is by comparison. I don't think so. I think this is a new permutation that we have not seen before. It's a little unclear to me. You know, I kind of want to see it again for the point of view of what is the overall message? What is the overall mood? I think this is something that is supposed to be a little puzzling. Even obviously at some points just hit you over the head. We don't care enough for people who have mental illnesses. But I just, I really appreciated the fresh, very attempt at realism in dealing with a comic book character. You know, this is such a central kind of film, comic book films now. It's a long past time for us to be doing experiments like this, which are very common in some ways in actual graphic novels of how gritty can we make this? How much can we relate this to what real life would be like? But the fact that, you know, he doesn't have any superpowers. I don't think that's a spoiler. I don't think he has superpowers in the comics. It's just, it's, he's just a weird guy. I want to say I appreciated the performance. I see Erica, your, your criticism of it. I just think that he immersed himself so deeply in this thing that I do not feel in a position to criticize any of his decisions. It was almost like he made himself into this character and that's just what happened. <laughs> that It's so unstudied in a way that as a course in acting, I see something. But again, that should not ground the entire film. I just think the fact that this can spark so much discussion of the political message, of the psychological pictures involved yeah, I just think this is a very rich mine. He's definitely a very talented actor. This is not the performance that I would have chosen the more I think about it. When I first saw it, I think I liked it because I disliked the film, but I was trying to figure out like what I did like about it, and I think he was the standout of it. I was just so bored by this film. I was so bored by it. I'm like, oh, you're just trying to make something edgy and gritty and dark for that sake, just the sake of being edgy and gritty and dark and trying to make something that feels serious, but in a lot of ways been done before. You know, maybe not for comic books, but I mean, kind of. I mean, Heath Ledger did win for the same character, you know, and he won an Academy Award for it. But that movie was so different. And yeah, right, Christopher Nolan understood that the Joker is at his best when he doesn't have a backstory. Because if he's just a maniac, he's kind of great. But as soon as we see him as damaged, are we supposed to relate in some way to this? I mean, he's a broken creature, but he's also homicidal, and I don't know what to do with all that. I didn't enjoy this movie at all. I really hoped. I mean, I was dreading it. This was the one I waited for, as I said, but I just wish it had been a different movie. So... I just heard something recently that made me yet again feel like he should not get the best actor for this because a friend of mine is a well-established fight choreographer and there was an article that came out that said that the fight choreography 
a lot of the violence was just improvised, which I don't think we should be rewarding ever because that's incredibly unsafe. And I think some people will look at it and be like, oh my God, that's so gritty. And he like really got into the part. And he really became the character. But like people get damaged doing that. And it maybe even if he wanted to do it, who's to say that the actors he was playing alongside didn't want to do it and just felt like they should because it's Joaquin Phoenix. Well, to be fair, there's not like this was a, a lot of hand-to-hand ninja fighting. Well, it was like the subway, right? Yeah, I mean, he was getting beaten up. To the extent that there was hand-to-hand fighting, it was people kicking him. So it was total rib fighting, a lot of that in this movie. I just don't feel like we should be rewarding that kind of behavior. That's my opinion. I didn't find this film boring. Let me put it that way. Like, I found the film, I think there's a reason that it got nominated for music. Again, I kind of have to see it again to really have a clearer picture of this, but... Gary Glitter, of course. Yes, having those, but I think it's the, uh, it was, it was the scoring, I believe, that was, was nominated. (laughs) Yeah, from what I recall, like, I, I think this really had a consistent, to me, a consistent tone that it was effective in the way that Taxi Driver was for that, which in both cases, I think it might have had music that I, wouldn't necessarily have liked in isolation, but just it made for an experience. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, and you talk about Taxi Driver and this movie manages to do it worse. I really thought this movie did King of Comedy worse than King of Comedy, right? It's like, why don't you do something your own instead of just taking Martin Scorsese and ruining it? But I guess I'll just leave it there. Whose turn is it? It must be Erica's. It's mine. It's my favorite film of the year. I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) I didn't hate this film. I just didn't love this film. But I'm going to argue for why it will win, because that's my assignment. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you haven't listened to our previous podcast about this film, this is Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood, specifically in the summer of 1969. It talks about an aging film star played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, the film star Rick Dalton and his stuntman Cliff Booth played by Brad Pitt. It has some excellent performances by the main cast and supporting cast as well. One of my favorites uh, was Margaret Qualley. Hollywood loves Tarantino. This film, it was rather beautiful in its display of a very specific time period in Hollywood in 1969. The other part of the story has to deal with the entanglement of these two worlds, the other world being the Manson family and the murder of Sharon Tate. And also Hollywood does love Margot Robbie, and she plays the illustrious Sharon Tate. This picture won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical this year. 1917 was the Golden Globe winner for Best Drama. But just to look at it a little bit closer, Quentin Tarantino was nominated for Pulp Fiction for Best Picture, but he has never won a Best Picture award. And he also, I'm looking at for Best Director, he was nominated for Pulp Fiction, he was nominated for Inglorious Bastards, and he is nominated for this. And so he still hasn't won either of those. I think it's probably about the time that Tarantino may win one of these. He considers this one of his most personal films and screenplays. And, you know, Hollywood loves Hollywood and stories about Hollywood. That's the one. Yeah, Yeah, I think that is (laughs) the most compelling one there, Erica. If you look at Argo, uh, is about making movies and the artist is about making movies. And for the 60 seconds that the Oscar was in La La Land's hands, that was another one about Hollywood. Yeah, and he's had a super impressive body of work, so this may be the one that he wins for. And also, you know, everything sucks right now. Donald Trump is president, and Kavanaugh's in the Supreme Court. So, like, let's do another film with some needless violence where the lead female doesn't really get to talk. And both lead actor, uh, female actors have to show their feet, even though they told him they didn't want to, and he made them because he has a foot fetish. (laughs) Very nice. Boom! That's my hot take. I don't think it's a bad film, and I think it could win. I would be a little disappointed if it did, but maybe he deserves it for his body of work. I want to use my time on this, since we already had an episode on this. I don't want to give it any more of my breath. I feel like I've already said enough about this, but you made me look up Margot Robbie on IMDb, and all these things that she's done, I did not realize. I think she really disappears into her various roles. I did not realize that was her in I, Tanya, and I also 
Did you know <laughs> the first listed production thing is something that's just been announced where she will play Barbie. Oh my God. A doll living in Barbie land is expelled for not being perfect enough and sets off an adventure in the real world. Director Greta Gerwig, writers Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. Oh my goodness. What the? F- All right. This, is this for next year? <laughs> uh, I don't see a date. I really liked her in the big short. I don't know if you remember that yes. she was in that. Yeah, that she was. It was very funny. Describe how mortgages and shorting it worked in a bathtub because. We wouldn't listen to anyone else describe that. <laughs> so that was really smart. All right. Well, I guess on the topic of movies we've already given way too much breath to, I'm going to finish us off with The Irishman and why that will win Best Picture. That's the last on our list. And go listen to that podcast. No, I have more to say than that <laughs> about this movie. I'll make an argument for why maybe it'll win. A couple things. And one of them, all right, for those who don't know, this is a movie about the man who claims he killed Jimmy Hoffa. And it was uh, set over several decades, and it stars Robert De Niro as the eponymous Irishman, Ed Sheeran, and Al Pacino as Are you Jimmy sure it's Hoffa. Ed Sheeran? Oh, what did I say? <laughs> oh. oh, is it not? No, no, no. I'm thinking of the movie... Uh, Frank Sheeran. Uh, help. Right. Frank Sheeran. Fuck. All right, we're not editing <laughs> no, that out. It's getting too late. So I love when Ed Sheeran broke into song uh, when <laughs> when he's sitting around with the other Lannister guards. I like that part. <laughs> Are we done? Yes. All right. Here's why this one is going to win because the Academy is made up a bunch of old farts, and this movie is really about aging in a way that other Scorsese movies aren't. And I think a lot of old white men are going to see themselves in The Irishman. And their lives slipping away from them as they get older and they fall apart. And I say this as a a slightly younger white man whose body is now falling apart on him and I hate it. So yeah, I see that part of it. The other thing that this movie has going for it, and this is a little wonky, but I'm going to go with it anyway, is in recent years, the Oscars changed how they did the voting to preferential voting this Australian runoff balloting where you vote for the movie you want and then you vote for the next movie you want and you rank all nine of them. And this idea is they look at everyone's first place vote and if there's no clear winner, they drop off the lowest and then they go again. And I think this movie has the possibility of being a lot of people's second favorite movie. That maybe there's one that they really like, but maybe it's a long shot and then oh, but they really appreciate the movie making of Martin Scorsese, and then they put this down at number two, and somehow that bubbles up to the top and it ends up getting the win. And the last thing I'll say about this one is, I know you can't legally bet on the Oscars in the U.S. It's You can't place a bet in Vegas on the Oscars, right? Because it's someone knows the outcome of it, so they can't take your bet on it. But there are overseas betting markets. And The Irishman is the first movie that has long odds. So 1917 has four to nine odds. Parasite is one in four. Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is 11 to two, and Joker is one to 12. So those are all not great bets. And The Irishman is 50 to one against, which... Whoa, really? Yeah, I mean, if you can get that bet, I would take it because it's, I think it's got a shot. I mean, it doesn't have a great shot. If you look, if you Google chances of winning the Oscar. Everyone seemed to think this was going to win back in September when no one had seen it yet. That's not a great sign. But for 50 to 1, sure, I'd lay down a few bucks on that if someone would take my money. So maybe not the best argument for winning, but a reason to toss a few shekels at it. I don't know. And with that said, what do you think? Should we choose one? Like really choose one? Well, I'm curious what if each of you had a vote, what you would vote for. Jojo Rabbit. 1917. Little Women. And who do you think is going to win? See, I would have said, I feel like you said uh, Hollywood loves Tarantino. I feel like Hollywood loves Scorsese more. Yeah. And, you know, that both of those films are like the capping off of their career in some ways. I feel like that Hollywood would be prejudiced to vote for one of those and that Scorsese would win among those. So I'm very surprised, Brian, by your analysis. That says obviously nothing about the quality of the film itself, but it certainly was... You know, as good as a lot of his best work. Yeah, but they've given him the Oscar already, right? So uh-huh. that's the difference there. The fact that there doesn't seem to be a clear front runner for any of us, I'm wondering if it's just going to go to... I, I've been reading things about how, what do we want the Academy to stand for? 
So is it going to go to something that's just super, super relevant and that liberal elite Hollywood is going to want to push forward with agenda? So if that were the case, it could be JoJo. It could be 1917 with an anti-war or war as hell type movie. It could be. They're all a bunch of parasites. I think that's really not going in parasites' favor. So, well, we all are. I mean, not they. That's the message of that movie. I think 1917 is going to win. I got to pick something. I'll pick that. Yeah, if we need to uh, agree in order for this to end, <laughs> we don't need to agree. We just need to I, I, say what we think. Yeah. Is this is like a jury. This is a jury. <laughs> we oh, can't get oh. out of here until, <laughs> until we agree on something. So let's just say 1917. I think that has a reasonably good shot. I am sympathetic with the criticism that I raised. I looked at one review that was saying how it was just too shallow in terms of like who these people are, what their motivations are. And it did try about that. I don't think that was a very fair review that one of the main characters, one of these two men, it talks about kind of his going home only to have to come back and how like he kind of wished he had never gone home at all. He even has some character growth in this regard, which is difficult given that the whole film takes place in a day. Are you really going to have a lot of character growth in a day compared to the Irishman say? So I think there's enough there to kind of blunt the force of that criticism, but I think it's still legitimate criticism. I think that it is not, ultimately, it is more about the spectacle than about the drama. And I don't know what that means, you know, in terms of the history of Oscar voting, but from what I understand, you know, spectacle wins in so many other ways that it does not generally win Best Picture, right? Did Avatar win Best Picture? I don't think so. Am I wrong? (laughs) No, it, it lost to The Hurt Locker. But it was nominated. It was. People thought it might win. All right, let's wrap it up with one Oscar snub in any category. Oh, easy. Greta Gerwig, best director. I agree, so I guess I will pick something else, and (laughs) I will say Roman Griffin Davis playing Jojo. I would guess they would say supporting actor just because he's a kid and that's what they do, though it would be for best actor since he was the star of that movie. Oh, the girl in that was so good, too. I'm going to, as as I have said five times already this time, The Two Popes, I think. You love The Two Popes. I'd, been in Best Picture. I haven't finished it, but I, because I, I started it the other day and it's, you know, it's a long film, so I haven't gotten through with it, but I, I was really enjoying it as well. That's a surprising movie. <laughs> We're going to continue discussion of Two Popes during our <laughs> I think I'm gonna f- after talk. I'm going to go watch The Two Popes now. I'm going to finish it. Because that's on Netflix. Like, I would have seen more of the ones that have been picked out as being snubbed the farewell i haven't didn't see harriet i didn't see judy hustlers hustlers i you know it's just because these are recent films that are generally not streamable yet and so i just don't have an opinion on them so although though dolomite has been <laughs> streamable and i still haven't watched that either actually it wasn't until this morning when i was reading the articles that i knew that that was something that people thought was an oscar hopeful that had been snubbed right so, yeah me neither had i known i probably would have would have bothered so who won our debate? The listening audience. Yeah. What did you say, Erica, about Mark being wrong? <laughs> well, he couldn't help. He, he he couldn't help that he got the Joker. That's the really one that I have the, the issue with. <laughs> All right. Thank you. We're going to do some further discussion of this and self-criticism and <laughs> looking forward in our supporter-only audio, patreon.com slash pretty much pop. So long, everybody. Bye. See you later. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.